Do you have more pictures of your goats than yourself on your phone? Does your vacation time get spent attending goat shows? Can you have a conversation without bringing up dairy goats? Neither can we. So join us as we talk to the country's best breeders, judges, appraisers, and industry experts about all things dairy goats. We are John Kane and Danielle Caroli. Welcome to Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. This week's episode of Ringside is sponsored by The Great Goat. I don't know about y'all, but I'm ready for spring, and with that, cooking outside on the grill. Level yourself up to the level of grill master by using The Great Goat's rubs and spices to make your meals great. Go to www.graygoatbbq.com to order their variety pack and use the code RINGSIDE10 at checkout to save 10% off your order. Your stomach and family will be impressed by your grilling skills. What's up everyone and welcome to Ringside. I'm John and as always I'm joined by somebody that's probably not going to be wearing a I'd rather be showing over Hosley shirt, Danielle Caroli. How's it going everyone? <laughs> your dose haven't even started kidding yet and i'm already conceding i know i was gonna say did you catch the pure happiness in that response i guess is probably the better word oh for sure uh i guess we'll jump right into what's going on around our places obviously kidding season has started over here uh last the the audience has found out uh gem had a single buck well Thea, my uh, first freshener, kitted last weekend, and she had a doe kid that didn't make it. And then, which, you know, it's always a bummer, and I'm sure later on we'll, we can get into that. But um, then we had uh, Guernsey and an Oberhasley kid this morning, and I got twin Guernsey Oberhasley crosses, buck and doe. Uh, so catching back up, now we're at four. And then I had a second freshening two-year-old give me a single bucket. Womp, womp. So, you know, we're sitting at five right now. We got a doe that after we're done recording here and I go milk the girls, she'll be put in the kidding jug and we'll see what she produces. And all I had to do was send John one photo of a doe at the feeder to get him sweating and... Life is good. So my herd for the win, this is probably one of the only times I'm excited about all the multiples that I may or may not be having, but I feel pretty confident in this one right now. Maybe talk to me in two weeks, but right now I feel like I just have my girls just have to basically perform how I'm expecting them to a few singles a few sets of doubles, maybe a triple, just to kind of sprinkle a little extra fun on it. And John will be rocking that. I'd rather be showing Nubians t-shirt. I'm just kind of hoping that the Kings Rock does hit the buffet and they just have singles in there. And they're just I fat. mean, it is possible, but I'm basically chalking it up to I will be having singles from my first freshener. So there's six does total. Three of these in this group are first fresheners. So I'm estimating that they're going to each have a single. Now, granted, little behind the scenes, one doe is about 
a week later than the other group of animals. And she's starting to kind of pop. So it's possible there's twins in there. She's also a three-year-old first freshener. So she's a little deeper bodied. It's very possible there's two hiding in there. But I'm I'm like estimating her at a single. So I have those three does with singles. So that's three kids. Then I have three does that one definitely looks like she's carrying two because she's had three before. She's an older doe. She's really deep. There could be a third in there. I don't know. We'll see. Then I have another doe who is most likely carrying two. Again, could be something hiding in there. So we're looking at seven already. And then I have the doe that I taunted John with, with a picture who should most likely be carrying three. I don't even want to really like think that she could be carrying quads, but Oh, I think she's, I think she's going to be kidding and it's going to be like a clown car. There's just going to be like more and more kids coming out every two seconds and it's just going to be mayhem. Yeah. Oh, it's completely possible. She's, she's about 14 days till her due date and she's already looking like she's figuring it out. So we'll see, but I'm feeling pretty confident going into this. Yeah. Yeah. You should, you should. It's going to be wonderful. Uh, yeah, it's, we'll see. We'll see. You know, the competition's never over. Who knows? Maybe my Guernsey that's looks like she has a single that's kidding tomorrow morning. Maybe she's got triplets hiding in there and then maybe, uh, busy will have triplets too. And it'll kind of help, but most likely not that both of them are first fresheners. I do have to say <clears throat> those Guernsey Oberhasley cross kids are the cutest dang things in the entire oh, world. They really are. And I am just loving that they look like Guernseys too, as far as coloring. I think that is so cool. Oh, for sure. And I knew I there was a high chance for them to be gold, right? Because if you look at Nigerians, gold is very dominant. If the dam or sire is gold, usually it's going to produce some gold kids. So I wasn't shocked to see gold. I was happy that at least one of them had lady bits and not boy bits. So... <laughs> I'm just, I'm swimming in, in bucks right now. I've got the one that was born this morning, the Oberhasley buck. He's ginormous. He's one of the biggest Oberhasley buck kids we uh, we have. And if anybody asks for a weight, I'm sorry, I don't weigh my kids. I just don't have the time or energy at five o'clock in the morning to do so. Uh, but he is, he is big. And Sam Stokes, uh, who was on the, the, podcast she commented on the post and she's like how much did he weigh and i was like he weighed about as much as a kid at 5 a.m should i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's kind of what's going on here we were just prepping and going right along i do have to say and i know we have a guest today and I'm very excited to get to her uh, but i was very shocked that my wild is all get out guernsey dough was fine by me grabbing her by the collar she didn't i didn't have to drag her which when i shaved her udder yesterday i was dragging her to get onto the stand she just walked up nice and peaceful i put her on the stand she's eating her grain she didn't kick she did for the first like five minutes of trying to milk her just like squat all of her weight onto my hands while i was milking Mm -hmm. her but it was fine so she figured it out. Now she stands and 
it's good. I'm shocked. I thought it was going to be a TikTok moment of fighting a goat. Yeah, but sometimes they'll surprise you. There's no ad good news this week, Daniel. But I did want to read one of our reviews that a listener left on the Apple Podcasts app. So it's uh, oh, nice. it says, yeah, it says great show, five stars. They are fun to listen to and provide plenty of useful information for all dairy goat people. I'm looking forward to listening more. I'm not sure I have ever chuckled more hearing two dairy goat people talk. It would be fun to be on the show sometime. And hey, maybe we'll make that happen someday. So thank you for that five-star rating. And if you want yours read on the show, go ahead on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. And tell us if you love us or hate us. We're open to everything. Yes, exactly. We appreciate all the reviews and ratings. It's that time of year when we all have kids born on our farms. And as we grow, we're all assessing them, trying to figure out the perfect place for them to go. We try to decide who stays, who goes, and more importantly, or maybe more agonizingly, which bucks (laughs) are offered as future herd sires and which ones we let go as weathers or to our meat buyer. So today, we're going to be discussing that very topic with Jill Pritchett of J Haven Acres. Jill breeds amazing La Manchas in Indiana, and she has had the 2022 Reserve National Champion, Champion J Haven's MD Living Joyous, as well as the 2014 National Champion and 2018 Reserve National Champion, Jay Haven's FT Living with Ambition. Not only that, but she has earned Best Dairy Herd to name just a few accolades throughout her 30 plus years of breeding dairy goats. Welcome to the show, Jill Pritchett. Thank you guys for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, it's our pleasure. And as I was going through this topic with Danielle, I was like, who, who better to have on to discuss if bucks stay or bucks go? And more importantly, I was like, Danielle, I'm pretty sure I've met you before. And, and lo and behold, you and I were standing in the recorded grade champion lineup, yeah. just kind of shooting the breeze while we were waiting for an exhibitor. And yeah, for like a half hour. <laughs> yeah, making sure our goats weren't going to explode because yeah. they were just so done. Walking around in circles, and mine was actually. I mean, if you a goat can growl, she was growling. Oh, for sure, she did not look happy. No, if she had ears, they would have been pinned way back. They would have. So, Jill, to get started, we like to hear about our guests and hear about their stories. So, can the listeners learn a little bit about you and your herd? Sure. I, when you say 30 plus years, you know, when you start adding it up, it, it's like, I'm glad you put 30 plus because it's been 40 plus. <laughs> oh no. Because, uh, you know, I started, um, my mom raised quarter horses and trained them and she got a couple goats to be around the horse's feet so that us kids being around the feet, they wouldn't be so jumpy and pretty much goat will. Um, bomb-proof anything. So that's kind of where it started out. My mom had a couple friends that got into goats, and then she made some more friends. And um, we started out with Alpines and Sonnens um, and then Nubians. And then we went straight to Nubians. When I was 10 years old, we went to a Illinois show. 
and there was this lady, and I know I drove her crazy. Um, she had a pen full of La Manchas, and I thought that they were like the coolest goat on the face of the earth. I was like hung on that lady's pen every spare second of my weekend there. As far as I can remember, she was really nice. I have no idea who she was. And she had alpines as well. So we, my mom had this alpine buck and I like what, the whole weekend, mom, I want my mom, my mom, my mom. So my mom traded this alpine buck for this La Mancha weather. <laughs> the things you do for your children, right? And I don't know. I mean, there might have been money involved in it too. I have no idea. But so my La Mancha weather came home with me to see my mom wanted to see how dedicated I would be. And his name was Tommy. You can only go do so much with a, a weather. So he stayed there a couple of years and then finally he disappeared. That's just every time I go to a show, I would look at the La Manchas and you were bitten by the, the, the munch yeah, bug, right? it was just like a natural like just you know I was just so drawn to them so when I was about I guess 16 my mom um, had double knee issues and she said Jill I just can't do it I'm turning the goats over to you um, you're gonna have to you know do most of the we'll still buy the feed and all that but you're just gonna have to do the work with them and she says, you know, when you can't do it, get rid of some when you, and you'll just have to do it like that. In 1999, a good friend of mine was getting out of her launches. And I said, you know, I would like two of your really nice kids. So I snuck these into the barn and, you know, my mom was go down there every once in a while and look and I'm just giggle. And she's like, what are you giggling about? I was like, oh, nothing. All these heads were, <laughs> were eating and she just never noticed it. And so finally I said, do you notice anything different about any of these goats? And at that time I had Nubians and Alpines. And uh, she was like, no. I was like, look closer. And then she was like, oh, my God, when did you get those? I was like, oh, about a month ago, you know. <laughs> so I got married. I moved to Kentucky. Um, I had a couple of people that were getting out of the La Manchas. So I bought four or five does and a buck, a couple different people. So I got started in them, you know, with some good um, genetics. The other breeds just kind of started diminishing down. I would just keep more and more La Manchas. And then I finally got rid of the Nubians. And then in like 2005, I got rid of the uh, Alpines. It just solely went to the La Manchas because I got to a point and I had some really nice Alpines. I started really winning well with them and I didn't really care who I bred them to. I was like so excited about the La Manchas and I'm like, I can't do this breed justice in this barn. So I just need to, you know, sell them to someone who has the right mindset to take them further on into their uh, show careers. And that's how I got totally La Manchas. I had a couple of recorded grades that, so I have a line of La Manchas that actually came from that recorded grade, which was Tog Nubian. I have a doe kid that has 27 years of breeding behind her, um, which is kind of cool. Uh, yeah. So just kind of neat. And, and, you know, I just, I'm one of these people that I'm just always trying to make something better. So it's just, I love the breeding aspects. 
most of the time. Sometimes you're like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, you put something together and you think, oh, this is going to be awesome. And then they freshen and you're like, eh. Oh yeah. Been yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. I so, think everyone's been there and yeah. I love that idea. I just want to touch on something that you mentioned really quickly because I yeah. just find it hilarious. The fact that your mother didn't realize that there was the La Manchas in the barn. And <laughs> there is this 4-H girl who comes to my barn to breed her Nubians for stud service. And she has a rule that if her father doesn't realize that that goat or whatever animal is in their barn, in their pasture within 24 hours, that animal is allowed to say he cannot say anything about it. And that is just the way it goes. And I yes. just love that idea of it's been here for a month or nope, we've had this for 24 hours. You didn't catch it. It's here and it's going to stay. Well, and my mom was like, I do not like those no ear goats. And, you know, back when I was a kid, there was a lot of exporting going on and none of the exporters wanted La Manchas. They just didn't want the no ear goat. So it was really hard at that time. I was just a 4-H kid. I wasn't anybody, anything big. So it was really hard to get rid of La Manchas. But now my mom's like, oh, I, I wouldn't have any other breed. I, I say there's two types of people. There's people that love La Manchas and there's people that will love La Manchas. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. And I, I do think there is something with La Manchas that... I don't necessarily know if I would ever have any in my barn, but you look at what the breeders can do with them and what those animals look like and the consistency that you get generation after generation and all the different things that are going on with that breed. And it's very hard to stay away. And you, there's, I don't know. I, I feel like you start looking at it a lot and you just kind of start itching and going, all right. I just think what everybody as the mantra breeders are doing is so cool. And the animals that are presented and that you see are just fabulous. And I yeah, think it is, it, it is a tough breed to be in the top with because there are really so many um, great breeders out there. And I liked it because I went from Nubians that were just so inconsistent. So, you know, I was like keeping, 20 kids and you're hoping that one or two freshen nice. The first year I had La Manchas, I kept like 15 of them and they all freshened really nice. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I wasn't used to, I mean, they just all really, and for people that don't know me or people that do know me, they know I'm another person. So when I started in La Manchas, I was like, I'm going to do this right. And I said, utter is everything to me. So anything that had a, a amazing utter state, it didn't matter what their body looked like. You know, I just wanted to hone in on that aspect. Some of them were short and fat and winning best utter and show everywhere, but you know, they couldn't get to the, to the next level, but yeah, you just, I think, I feel like La Mancha breeders don't have it easy but they're just so dang consistent throughout. If you have the right genetics 
A, but also great husbandry skills. It's pretty oh, yeah. not easy, but it's I guess as an Oberhasley breeder, you don't have to like you don't have to worry about the mammary issues so much with Lamanches as you do like Oberhasley. Well, and like everybody thinks they look at my herd and they're like, oh, but you know, every you have so many nice ones. I said, yeah, but I've had so many not nice ones too. Right. I'm not painting this fairy tale that get into La Manchas because they're all, I mean, it's, I tell people it's kind of like playing Yahtzee. You put all these genetics into a cup and you shake them up and you throw them out and you hopefully they all line up. But I mean, I've had bucks that, you know, just didn't work or different things. So, but all in all, I mean, I love them. I'll probably have La Manchas when I'm going out in my walker and, uh, my ride along. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I totally get it. So let's talk about that Yahtzee, I guess. And let's really focus on buck kids because we so often, I think this is where everyone struggles is whether or not we're selling a buck as a buck, whether it should be a weather, kind of what that path and what that future is for those animals. So to start off this discussion, for you, roughly how many buck kids are you looking at a year? How many of those actually end up registered? And then to kind of take that one step farther, what would you say your market is for those buck kids? Are the registered animals going to dairies, performance herds, show herds, homesteads? Yeah, um, I kind of went back and looked at last year. So last year I had, I think, 32 buck kids born. 16 of them went to for breeding half you know a little more than half and you know it just depends on i had a huge buck deer last year i mean it was like bucks 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 there were probably a couple that could have went as bucks but they were out of first fresheners and i was at to my wits end so you know the guy comes around and says I'll take whatever butt kids you have and then I'm like well if I get rid of two more then that leaves this pin open <laughs> you know yeah so, um it, there's a lot of things that go into whether a buck should be a buck in my herd like if I wouldn't use it as a buck then I don't sell it as a buck there are a lot of different people like if people just want to use it as, you know, just homestead and just want it for milk and, and things like that, you know, you have to look at that as well. Um, most of mine go to performance herds or show herds. I do, I had a experimental doe this year and she has, her dam's a national champion. She's a granddaughter to Ambition who was a national and reserve national champion. And the buck kids were beautiful. And she had three of them. Wow. And I'm like, I'm like, oh my God. Like the last one came out and I was like, please, it was smaller. So I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to be a doe. And I was just so disappointed. <laughs> so, uh -huh. but I was like, they're so nice. They were so, just so nice. So I kind of put them out, you know, on Facebook and I'm like, these could be weathers, but you know, they have this, this, and this, and the dam's really nice. And, so they all three went to a, a dairy. And when he said he wanted all three, I was like, you do know that they're litter mates. And he was like, yeah, I have 700 does. So that's not an issue. <laughs> so I was really glad that, you know, they went as bucks. 
Especially right. because they're experimentals. Experimentals are so hard to market. Right. And her, her daughters are American. But since she's an experimental, all her butt kids are experimentals. Yeah. If I'm going to sell a butt kid um, to someone that, you know, especially if they're performance or show herds, it's got to be something I'm willing to use myself. Everybody, you know, you go back and forth and there are people that say, well, I want this certain type or this certain type. So then, or they just want, you know, a buck kid that is correct. And, and, but very seldom do I sell a buck that, that I wouldn't use myself. Are most of your buck kids like pre-reserved or do you have to market them uh, when they're born? I mean, obviously last year you probably did because you had so many. Yeah. I kind of waited. I hate marketing because you just, <laughs> it's just, I, it takes so much time and, and I don't have a lot of time. I mean, I'm most of the time I'm here by myself, you know, I mean, my mom helps me and stuff, but to get pictures. And so it's just really hard. But last year I did some marketing and then I do have quite a few that are pre-reserved, but then I just kind of wait and let people come to me. And usually, you know, I have, I, I've never gotten stuck with anything that. Good. I got a couple of buck kids. I'm going to send your way then. <laughs> well, and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they're here. I kept two that were, well, one was out of joy, my reserve national champion. And mm -hmm. I've always loved her from the day she freshened. So I kept him. I had another one out of her mother that I kept, you know, until I think it was late summer. And usually I don't, I don't really do that. I'm trying to get them out of here, especially to make the workload when I go to shows for my mom. Uh, so she doesn't have to take care of so many, but, but I, you know, I do all, I do all of it. I'm no, that makes a lot of sense. And I always laugh because sometimes for me, there'll be a buck kid that for whatever reason, isn't selling and I'll have opportunities to send him weather or unregistered. I always just go, okay, you know, if he's here, I might use him on a few does or right. we'll see what happens. But then it always seems to work out. There's always somebody who comes summertime is, and all of a sudden they realize breeding season is right around the corner and what they have in their barn isn't quite what they need or different right. things happen I think some people will wait and maybe they're not the perfect home all the time for those bucks or the, you know, maybe they're not the right, right home of making this animal be bred to their potential, but they are looking right. for a buck. And so right. maybe, I mean, sometimes you go, eh, that's not the right place for this buck here because I'm holding him for a reason, but other times it's okay. Yes, he can go there. And so I think obviously you don't want to keep, all those buck kids and wait for those fall breeders because or buyers because then you're feeding them extra and there's all that goes into it but right. i think sometimes it does work out that keeping one here or there and waiting till he finds his place is a is not a bad thing um i do want to touch back because i feel like this is just a perfect transition into this so you talk about oh marketing is a pain and Obviously, when we're trying to market those kids, it usually happens when we have all the extra babies or newly freshened does, other commitments. So 
that time of year, is there a criteria for the buck kids that you are willing to spend that time to market to sell? Is it the big pedigrees on does and buck you know, and the bucks that they're bred to, or something special that he look the buck kid looks like, or what is what is the kicker that'll make you take the time to try and sell a buck? Usually, it is if like if I'm really excited like about the buck, but I, you know, maybe have too many things related to him. Every doe in my barn is related somehow to each other, you know. So sometimes it's far off, you know, to where I can, you know, use the buck. Those bucks that are really the ones that you try to market and try to put somewhere where they're going to do um, to their potential. And like you said, you know, sometimes you, someone contacts you and you're like, that really isn't. But on the other hand, you know, maybe that buck will really do them, make them up their game quite a bit too. But yeah, I mean, marketing buck kids is, it's a pain, but sometimes you just have to do it to get, to get them out there and let everybody know that what you have available. Well, I agree. It definitely is a pain. <laughs> well, especially when you're like in kidding, like I don't have as many does freshening as I usually do this year. I've kind of cut back and probably will cut back a little more because I really enjoyed it. Like I had a big spurt the end of January, beginning of February, and then I had a three week break and I just enjoyed it so much. But um, yeah, when you're like in, can I have 14 pictures of this? And, you know, I'm like, well, here's two. And if I can get more, I'll get you some more and specific colors and this and that, and, you know, so it's like, well, I have this, but it's not this. And I have that, but it's not that this. And so sometimes it just gets really aggravating, but. Oh, yeah. I hate the, can I get pictures? I'm all about like natural pictures. Like if you go to my Facebook, I mean, i post pictures of just does standing naturally and and I'm not one that has to have everything groomed up and so I don't mind sending like they're well can you send me pictures yeah but I'm not gonna it's still kind of chilly around here I'm not gonna um make make my goats naked for (laughs) a picture so (laughs) so yeah people ask for a lot of pictures but I feel like they're when it comes to selling buck kids there's two schools of thought. There's the John Kane, oh, it's from a first freshener, but let's look at this pedigree and let's look at this doe's udder. And yeah, I right. probably do ask for to see it. But also uh, there's the school of thought that, oh, I don't buy anything from a first freshener. Uh, what are your thoughts on selling bucks out of first fresheners? Well, if you look at like what we are as breeders are trying to do, we're trying to make every generation better, right? Yep. So those first fresheners hopefully are better than the rest of your herd. So, and you know, they're not always that way, but like first fresheners, I mean, they have to be pretty spectacular for me to sell a buck kid out of them. I have a doe, um, her name's Chutney, and it's probably the best doe I've ever bred. She freshened as a yearling and just had a phenomenal, I mean, she was really 
had a well-attached mammary system. It milked a lot. Um, she was a big body, deep body. She was just really mature. I mean, she probably looked like a two-year-old. And, you know, I was worried that she might fall apart, but she's still down there at seven. She looks great. So <laughs> but she had this phenomenal mammary system. And I sold, you know, I sold a buck kit out of her. Um, I have another doe, Lace, who had a phenomenal mammary system and body. And first fresheners, everybody's like, oh, I don't want anything out of her first freshener. But those does can be some of the best that a breeder has ever produced. So I, I'm not, I don't really, I don't do deposits anymore because I just, it's too, it just gets too confusing and, and everything. It gets so messy I, it, so fast. Yeah. I mean, and I'm one of these people that I can't keep. I mean, if someone cancels because they were in a car wreck or something, I can't keep their hundred dollars. I always right. sit back. So I was just like, I'm just going to stop doing that. So I just take reservations and people will say, well, I would like it out of a first freshener because, you know, of course those buck kids are cheaper and I understand that. And so I'm like, okay, but what has to meet my criteria is to sell a buck. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we know, you know. And so, you know, sometimes those just, they luck out and they freshen really, really nice and they get a buck kid for less money and all that. So no, I'm, I, I would buy a buck out of our first freshener and I would sell a buck out of our first freshener. Like you said before, yeah, I'm not going to buy a buck. I definitely have to see pictures of mammary systems and, and the dough, you know, if it's a first freshener and you don't have mammary systems, I, I got to see that. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I, I I think it's like a fun game in my head to play with these first fresheners. It's like, ooh, I really like this first freshener. Right. Oh, there's a buck kid. I'm gonna get that buck kid. And three right. out of my four bucks that I've had on my farm are out of first fresheners, and they their dams do really well in their second and third lactations. Right. Go figure. Well, and it's like okay, so Chutney that year first freshener, she had two buck kids. And one of them was looked great. And the other one, you look back on it and you say, did I do the right thing? Because she turned out to be such a phenomenal doe. But he had a one elbow popped out. Mm. And so I sent him to the meat market. Because I was like, I, I wouldn't want that. I, you know, and I can't sell. I mean, I could sell him to somebody and say, hey, you know, his elbow pops out. And they're like, well, I don't care. He gives me udders like chutney. I don't really care. But yeah. I don't know if it was because I didn't notice it like the first few weeks. So, you know, you never know. Something could have happened to him or he got his legs stuck or goats, I think, are born suicidal. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, and I sent him to the meat market and everybody's like, what did you do after? And that's the first yearling I've ever had that I finished her championship as a yearling and I don't really think yearlings should finish their championship, but she was just a phenomenal yearling. So, and they're like, you sent her up kid. And I was like, yeah, but his elbow pop, you know, I was like, and it wasn't just like, it was bad, <laughs> you know? So I was like, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't send that out because my name's attached to that. So if you have all these. I was these... just going to say, yeah. Yeah. Sure. So yeah, I don't want a bunch of elbow popping daughters out there and I was like well we know where that came from right I kind of feel that there's a little different than doe kids because the bucks just have the potential to such 
drastic or so drastically influence a herd. Right. Occur. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you have a doe kid that an elbow pops when she has five kids that elbows pop, then okay. Then you have five kids that's not that big of a deal. But if you take a buck and breed him to 20 does and you have 50 kids that elbows pop out, it's a, it's a big difference. So, you know, if it would have been a doe kid, I'd have kept it and we'd have seen what happened. But you never know which buck's going to influence the breed. Who's the next Frosty Marvin, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, there's definitely the two pieces that need to fit together, that phenotype and the genotype. So, uh, or, and the pedigree behind it, I guess, is probably another way to kind of word genotype right now. Are you finding you're selling your bucks primarily on one or the other, or is it really a combination of those two things? Me personally, I am more genotype. I've had some ugly kids that have turned into some fabulous milkers. <laughs> so I'm not as tough on, and I've had some really ugly bucks. Actually, one of the ugliest bucks I ever owned gave me my first permanent champions. We all love to look at those beautiful kids in our pen. If there's a genetic, like that elbow popping, if there's a genetic flaw, then yes, I'm not going to send that buck out into the world. You know, and what I mean by ugly is maybe the rump's not especially flat or maybe they're a little hockey or you just kind of got to see them grow out and know what the geno in that, you know, the genes in the background can do. If it's a, if it's a genetic fault or a show fault or disqualification or something like that or a, uh, a big fault, then, you know, you don't want to send those bucks out there. But I've also saw some bucks that weren't great to look at that threw really, really nice kids. How long are you taking to evaluate those buck kids before you decide to ship them or sell them registered? Well, you know, some of them just come out and they just look phenomenal. I mean, just they just stand up there to drink their first bottle and you're like, wow, still a little wobbly, but everything's there. I don't send them kids out unless they're at least a couple weeks old and usually they're around four weeks when they leave but I mean usually I can tell if there's going to be issues within the first week or so big genetic faults pretty well sort them out pretty quickly no that makes a lot of sense because I think back to animals I've kind of decided bucks particularly all right is he worth giving a few days and letting him grow out or should he go to the next person who is looking for a weather or to somebody who's looking for meat animals and sometimes it depends on how many kids are in the barn and whether there I have a buyer immediately or sometimes I just have a gut feeling and I kind of go with it that the pieces of that animal are not there and probably won't be there. Maybe, and I'm not even talking those defects or the easy things that you don't want to pass on, but you look at that rump and go, okay, it's not what it should be. And it's just not something that I want to potentially pass on to my right. animals. I mean, I remember I had this, buck kid that was an AI breeding and he was supposed to be my next 
Junior Herdsire, and he was born, and there wasn't anything wrong, but it just wasn't, like, there wasn't anything that I could say, oh, he's very loose in the stifle, or his rump is narrow. It The rump structure just wasn't worth keeping, and he ended up going as a weather, and so you just kind of have to, first of all, know what you're comfortable with, and have kind of an eye, I personally think, but then be willing to be critical of those animals and say, okay, yes, this is okay. And no, maybe not. Or there's something not quite right with this. And Well, right. And we've all, we've all got those bucks in that, you know, we were really excited about and they just didn't cross well. Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of people like are like, they're, if you have this beautiful buck and he's beautifully general appearance, he's got all of the great aspects that you want any buck to have, genotype and phenotype, and he just doesn't work for your herd. Like, I have certain lines that just don't work with my herd. There's nothing wrong with the goats. They just do not cross well. And so I think people have to realize that, like, when I get a new buck, I use them quite a bit because I want to know, and I cross them with, you know, different doe lines that I have. They're all connected, but some are farther away than others. And I just see what that buck can do. Like I had a buck that I used like 80, probably 90% of my does one year because I wanted to know what he was going to do. And, you know, you can see right away if he's, given the general appearance and everything, but sometimes it's two a year to two years before you see those mammary systems. I like to use a buck and see what they can do. And then I move them on. And some people are like, oh, well, if it didn't work for her, it's not. And that's, I think, I'm never afraid to use a buck that somebody is getting rid of if I think that it might work for me. Just because it didn't work for somebody doesn't mean it won't work for you. Um, because your genetics are totally different than theirs, and I've I've lucked out sometimes, and then sometimes I'm I can kick myself, you know. But it's just how yeah. genetics work. Yeah, there's herds that I admire deeply, and I know that I can't touch those genetics because either I found out the hard way, or other breeders that have similar lines that I do have found out the hard way and say hey, it right. just doesn't cross well. And unfortunately, right. those, those are the breaks sometimes. Right. And so I, I've used three bucks with these lines in there, and they just didn't work. Well, the first one, the dam was beautiful. The sire was great. And I just never got anything out of him. And so I let him go. And then I added another one in that the dam was beautiful. And it general appearance, great. But the udders just weren't what I wanted. And then just so I could punish myself a little bit more, I added another one, but it was way (laughs) far in the back. And I thought, oh, okay, this won't. And it just didn't cross and very disappointing. And sometimes you want to cry when they freshen, Um, (laughs) but you just kind of chalk it up and move them on. And and so now that I know that I third strike, you're out. (laughs) Let's let's kind of bring the focus back here on uh, our buck kids and and with that the buyers so this question does 
the customer matter to you in terms of whether the buck is available as a registered breeding animal or not? Meaning uh, maybe they aren't a performance home or is there like a criteria in your customers that get to have an animal with your herd name or is green good for anybody? No, I, of course I have certain does that mean a lot to me and I want their, I want their bucks to go somewhere where, you know, they have a chance of really proving themselves. But I, you know, I help out a lot of 4-Hers that are just getting started or if you just want a buck for, you want good genetics and you want just for milk or just for, I mean, I don't really discriminate against any buyers that would like to purchase. I think everybody starts somewhere and um, if I can help 4-H'er or just a homesteader and you know if you get good goats then maybe the the bug would bite them and they're like oh maybe I'll try this shows out and you know stuff like that but I don't really if someone comes to me and wants to buy a buck and just like that dairy person I was more than happy to just sell those as bucks and not weathers um, because I really 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 liked them every day I'd go down and feed them and wish they were no kids but I <laughs> yeah I don't <laughs> So there's, and, a, there's not like a special criteria. I, I'm no, the same way. I would rather, I actually, I would rather see a buck go to someone who is not going to do much with them. If it's a great home, mm-hmm. you know, all sold animals that you look at them and you just want to cry because they haven't been taken care of or. Yeah. And those are, those are the things that you just can't control, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, hard, and, but... you know, nobody wants to see goats that are starved to death, but um, right. sometimes you just, those people get past you. And, and, you know, I always, like people, like when does get old and you have to send them off and, and people are like, well, how can you do that? And I'm like, well, because I know for the 10 years they had a wonderful life. And, you know, right. and they're not sitting in somebody's backyard starving to death. Right. Sell a buck to, if you're just starting out or you're just a 4-H kid or you're a homestead or, you know, I've sold to just about everybody. So. And I think part of it, though, is communication as a buyer with the person you're trying to get an animal from. Because... If they say, hi, I'm new to goats, I'm starting out, I need a solid buck, the avail- the availability of what you have to offer as a breeder probably is a little bigger and in terms of what you have in your herd to sell them than somebody who's saying, hi, I've been breeding goats for 10 years. My herd is doing this, but I think to get to the next level, I need X, Y, and Z. And so maybe they're saying I need to work work on my fore udder attachment, or I need to add more width to my rear udder, or my general appearance is suffering right now. My goats are really weak in those pasterns. And then that narrows the criteria of what you're, as the breeder, willing to sell to them because you know your lines and know that yes they may think this doe is pretty and she has a bucket available but that bucket is not going to be the one to fix the fix the pasterns on their does because you know that "Eh, i can make it look pretty in the pictures or i know that she's not my favorite with pasterns or whatever it is and so 
I think personally, sometimes that communication of this is what I'm looking for actually is so much better, more beneficial as that buyer seller relationship, because you may say, I don't actually think I have something available because it's not going to meet your needs. And you want them to be a happy customer, have success with your animals. And I don't think that like it's, I think that's also something to consider too, that sometimes those customers that I just need a buck or I need a nice buck are a little easier to find something for than oh, yeah. those customers where they're actually looking for specific goals in their right. And, and this is, I say this a lot. When I buy a buck, I buy it for a specific reason. And then mm-hmm. I hope that he doesn't mess up all the other things that I have going for that line or that dough or whatever, or that issue. I, I do ask buyers a lot, what is the main thing? Because I always say, you know, a buck is not a miracle worker. He can't fix front end, utter all of these things that you want him to fix a list of 10. You know, what are the top two things that you are must haves? When I buy a buck, utter is number one on that list. And then sometimes I buy for depth of body or length of body or But yeah, I do ask buyers a lot. What is the two top things that you're trying to improve in your your herd? And so they give me those two things. And I'm like, I have this, this, and this. But it does help when they know what they need to improve. Because when you have the buyers that just say, oh, I just need a buck. It's like, okay, well, I have 14 of them. Come (laughs) come choose. (laughs) So it does help when they know, you know, what they want to improve in their herd the most. Now, I'm, I'm going to turn this on its head a little bit here, and we're all going to put our heads together for this next question. All right. What are your biggest pet peeves when it comes to seeing buck kid for sale posts on like Facebook? <sighs> well, I mean, we've all went on Facebook and we're like our face and our teeth, you know, it's like, ee! yeah. But, like, everybody gets, like, everybody gets so upset, and I'm like, for, like, if I see someone that should know better, (laughs) I take a little more, (laughs) I take a little more um, to it than, than if someone just is putting their backyard breeding dough up for, you know, but everybody has, like, their set, what they need. So when people get really upset, I don't know why you you should weather that box, blah, 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 blah. Well, there's somebody out there that that dough is probably better than what they have. I just kind of, I just keep scrolling, you know, I'm just like, I might go eat and I'm like, yeah. you know, I wouldn't buy that, but it might be somebody out there that would. Um, well, so not I, all of us start out with Rolls Royces, right? We've got to right. From our Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean. You know, and the- knock the Volkswagens. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a Plymouth. That's what I started out with. <laughs> oh, Plymouth. <laughs> well, and all of us that have been in goats for more than 20 years have been at the back of the line. You know, right. I mean, the new people that come in, very seldom do you come in with guns blazing. Now, you might have been lucky and got, you know, goats that people were going out of business but new people i would say five years is i mean 90 percent of them are out in five years which is sad 
Um, I think they get into it too heavily and get too many goats. And Yes, yes. We all have those years where we just want to like lay in the straw and cry and throw in the towel. Yeah. You mentioned the keep you keep scrolling. I mean, I see the posts where the first highlights of these buck kids is uh, moon spots and blue eyes or oh yeah um, the dan- the great 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 granddam was the sister of a national champion or that kind of stuff yeah. uh, where, you know you have to really look deep for those selling points well and then they post a picture of the doe and you're like oh dear lord <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not everybody is everybody has different what their pet peeves are you know mine's utter or utter is a huge pet peeve of mine or or lack thereof yeah or pockets or whatever but yeah to each their own i feel you and i think you said it just beautifully you know that you keep scrolling and i think you know i see a lot of people that interject on those sales posts and first of all it's not their farm so they shouldn't worry about it yeah i'd love to see every single buck kid sold improve the breed somehow uh but right there's everybody's not on the same level there's people that are still building and although that bucket might not be something useful for you it's definitely useful for somebody there's going to be a buyer that that will improve their herd the whole social media thing has it it puts uh people in places where they shouldn't be you know it gives Mm -hmm. them uh keyboard warriors i'm like that's not for me but you know maybe join us on tiktok we have fun there (laughs) right (laughs) yeah i think the biggest thing for me is it's just kind of my pet peeve but it's always i'm not going to say anything to anybody because it's not worth my time but when there's misinformation there or maybe misinformation isn't the correct word but when merits i guess what i want to say is when merits are being touted when the merit shouldn't be there that I see so often champion lines or dam of a grand champion. And you realize that that grand champion actually wasn't really a ADGA grand champion at a show. It was at a county fair where there was all three animals. And yes, she won, but I know I've seen animals that she won grand champion because she was the best of the worst that day and obviously (laughs) we're you know you don't want that going forward but i just when those sellers are targeting buyers that are a little different from the people that will read and look at that animal and go oh i don't want to touch this animal or this isn't something i want in my barn and so when they put those things there and they're trying to tout these goats accolades and merits that it doesn't necessarily deserve and you just have people who because they don't know better going oh this is out of a grand champion this should be good this is what i need right and And, you know that's what and when you when you do like I mean, we've all, we look at like, I mean, anything is, is when you have a grand champion, well, you have to look where 
that doe became a grand champ? Was there a lot of competition? Was there no competition? Was It's the same with LA scores and show wins and all that. It's all in the perspective of who was there, how many goats were there. And I mean, we've all seen LA scores that probably are not maybe where they should be. Um, so, I mean, I put all that in perspective and really when I'm looking for a buck, I look at, you know, the dam, the grand dam on the sire side and just kind of look to see what the line is and, and all of that. Um, because the other stuff can just be perspective of somebody else of that doe or that buck or whatever. Like when I first started out, I mean, it was a really long time before I kept a buck out of my own stuff because there were so many things out there that I wanted to improve on. And there were, you know, herds out there that, that could give me so much more than what mine was. So like when you said you had that AI kid, you feel like you, you know, when you do that breeding, you want to keep that butt kid. Sometimes it's just not what you it didn't turn out the way you wanted it to turn out. So just because you did that breeding, that AI breeding, doesn't mean that you need to keep that buck. No, exactly. And I want to kind of continue on that thought process because I think it leads us to this next question. For you, when you are looking to add a buck to your herd or keeping a homebred buck, what are you looking for specifically in that buck that you're buying or keeping? When I use a buck, I look at the dam and the sire's dam. I've always chosen bucks off the dam line. I look at the buck, like the sire's dam and all that, but I look at the dam and think, could I be okay if my whole herd looked like her? And that's pretty much what I go on. Every buck that I have in my buck barn and I have a new uh, junior herd sire that I AI'd this fall that I'm like so over the moon with him that I'm afraid he's going to like commit suicide or something. So I just, I just, act like he, I just act like he's not out there, you know, but like, just ignore him. Yeah, I'm like, I, and his sister is so laid back that I think she's sick. Like I've like, Put, I've like listened to her lungs. I don't know how many times because I'm like, do you have pneumonia? They're like, are you listening to that goat again? Yes, I think she's sick, but she's just so calm that I think she's sick. <laughs> but, you know, I look at his damn chutney and yes, if every doe in my herd looked like her, I would be okay. And when I buy bucks, if I buy a buck, am I okay if my whole herd looks like his dam or his sire's dam? And if that is oh that is a yes, then that is a buck that I reserve or use or I mean, you know, I went from using no none of my bucks to every buck in my buck barn right now, I have six. All of them are I bred except for one. So, you know, you get to a point where you have those does that you really want to rip repeat. Um, throughout your herd and that's how I just kind of pick a buck and if I'm selling a buck to somebody and they're like could you handle if your whole herd looked like this and they're like yeah and it's always nice when they're you know they're excited or happy about when you tell them oh well a buck was born and they're really excited I've had those feelings Um, this new junior herd slider I'm 
trying not to get too excited about. <laughs> you know, he's only a month old, so I'm trying not to put too much pressure on him. <laughs> so when they're that young and that pretty, it's like, all right, it well, needs to yeah. be falser. Well, and you know, it's like his sire kind of was like, I had all these, I had all of these does that had phenomenal memory systems. And when I, so if people, when they're looking at animals, if they can watch, like you can live stream nationals now, if you can go to nationals and see these herds, I mean, my first national was 2006. I had all these fabulous memory systems with these kind of short little fat does. There's things that you can see at nationals that you can't, like if you can't see them in person, yeah, you can look at pictures, but pictures just don't do justice. So when I was, I knew I had to like step it up a little bit. Like I had to get away from the utter, 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 utter. And I had to go, you know, start with body and stuff. So in 2006, of course, Karen and Krista Sin were at nationals and they were showing these does that were just long and tall and elegant. And I'm like, if I can add just a little bit of that to my herd, the first buck I ever got with them was Castamers Full Throttle. And that's who this little buck is out of. And he oh, was cool. probably the turning point because I had the udders and he just lengthened everybody out a little bit, gave him a little more leg a little, and he did exactly what I wanted him to do. And, you know, bucks kind of like the Yahtzee, you know, thing you put the genetics in and you throw them out. He was the turning point of my herd. And when I started, that's when I started winning more. And then I got another buck who crossed really well with him. And so it's just, so you look back in all these conversations that you have with your friends that are no longer here. And it's that he's great, but it's also the emotional part of it. So it's, I'm trying not to get too, too involved in his little life yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> put too much pressure on his little being. But well, now everybody's going to be waiting for Facebook posts about him. I know I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm, uh, I put the post out there, you know, when they were born and, mm -hmm. and, then of course they're born and then like two days or like a day later the dope kid crashes and i'm oh, like gosh. i'm like i'm just like i'm going to lose it like if this dope kid something happens to her i'm you're gonna have to carry me up into bed and put me into bed um <laughs> but she you know pulled out of it. i think she had a little maybe pneumonia or she just wasn't breathing quite quite right so i threw the mm. kitchen and bathroom and barn sink at her and uh, she popped up and was fine. But, um, oh, that's awesome. So you don't, you know, it's like I never want to be the bragger or the, I just want to kind of stay humble. And well, we'll brag for you because yeah. there's a lot that people have been able to learn from this episode. And to wrap it up with our last question for you, Jill, what's your advice for new breeders that may not know what to look for in their own buck kids to sell intact or potential buck kids they may want to bring in? New breeders, I I mean, it's hard sometimes, but if you can find a mentor, I mean, that can really look at like, 
I've had some friends that, you know, every once in a while they'll send me posts of, I'm thinking about getting a buck kit out of this dough. What do you think? And I'm like, yeah, it's a very nice dough, but this, maybe it has front end issues or maybe it's lateral attachments or rear rudder, you know, and they're like, oh, I didn't see that. So you try to help people in that way. If you're a new breeder, I mean, we were all there. We all wanted to sell buck kids. If you don't have, I mean, you can throw them out there and see if anybody wants to buy them. Of course, they might be something that, you know, would help somebody else. But if they're looking for a potential buck, um, go to somebody that, and you know, you, you kind of got to fill these people, breeders out because not everybody is forthcoming with what the flaws are in their goats. And, you know, people over the years have told me, well, that doe doesn't blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I know. So, it, you know, it's like, Nobody is harder on my goats than me. You remember when we used to do those uh, mail out breeding lists when there wasn't the internet and you just had to say, yeah. hey, can I get your one of your breeding lists? My friend actually went through mine and highlighted everything that I needed to take out of it. She said, because <laughs> you were telling people like, I wouldn't want to buy a buck from you. And I said, well, I want to tell everybody, you know, the good and the bad. Like, I want to tell everybody this doe is a little weak on her pasterns or you know this doe's top line isn't it and they're like well they can see the pictures and i said well i'm a very good show i can show just about anything out of anything i don't know how many times i've been told can you just walk that doe up and then not touch her and i'm like it's i like to have like i have like the jitters <laughs> because i can't not touch her you know um, i'm the yeah. same way <laughs> but if you can find somebody that is not just wanting to sell a buck kid, but wanting to sell you the right buck kid and, and can tell you, you know, what you need to improve in your herd, basically you have to breed what you love. So I got made fun of a lot by friends and not friends when I had these short little fat does that had phenomenal mammary systems. And so you have to breed what you love because 365 days out of the year, you have to look at those animals. So if you're looking at animals just because you want to show under so-and-so or you want this judge or that judge, that's one opinion for one day. We've all been where we might should have not have been or should have been um, in the show ring. But this is how I look at it. But I wouldn't trade my hurt for anybody else's hurt at the end of the day. When you walk out of the show ring and you are loading up, that you want to take those animals home with you. And I think that critical eye and being able to see the weaknesses and express the weaknesses in your hurt actually is beneficial to everybody because you know where you want to improve and you can not only see the strengths in a doe but you can also see her weakness or right. his weakness if it's a buck and so not being barn blind and not going oh my god this is the prettiest doe ever and there's nothing i could change and she's fabulous and everything's great instead of going well this doe is great yes she's amazing she's this that and the other thing but there's some there's always something you're going to want to improve oh, right. on her and being able to say that and express that I think showcases 
the strength of a breeding program oh, absolutely. and by of the breeder. Absolutely. Like I, I mean, I had a love affair with ambition. I mean, I mean, there was, there will be never ever another doe that ever even comes close to her. And I don't mean confirmation wise. I just mean like overall, if I could give that doe a longer forerunner, I mean, my life would have been complete. But, you know, everybody looked at her and like, oh, she's so beautiful and she's perfect. And I was like, no, she's not perfect. I mean, she's great. But, I mean, her forerunner is flawlessly attached. But I like it about, you know, six inches longer. As long as you know what's wrong with your herd or a doe or a buck or whatever, then, you know, nobody's going to hurt your feelings when they say, well, that doe can use, you know, to be more dairy or yeah i know or that doe's a little springy on her pastures yeah but that probably ain't gonna kill her <laughs> you know you just try to make her better ambition was i mean she was her feet and legs were incredible until the day she died but her daughter integrity has a little springy rear pastures and where that came from i have no idea kind of like the yahtzee you know it just kind of threw it threw it out there so when people say, oh, my pet peeve is feet and legs, and they're like, oh, well, we really love integrity. Well, she may never produce that, but she does have, you know, that. So, but yeah, I think studying your goats and, and knowing what their faults and are is probably what will get you the farthest, the fastest. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's a perfect way to wrap this up. Uh, Jill, if people wanted to find more information about your herd, where would they go? I have a website, um, jhavenacres.net, and then I have a Facebook herd page, um, jhavenacres. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, when you said about management, a lot of people are saying, oh, well, it's 50-50, you have to have the genetics and you have to have the management. And I disagree. I think at management is 100% of your success. I, you know, you have to have the genetics, but you know, you could have the greatest goats in the world. If you don't manage them, you're not going to have anything. Phone number, I'm pretty sure is on my website. You know, I'm here for people to ask questions. I'm pretty much an open book. I don't post a lot on Facebook because there are a lot of newcomers that know everything. <laughs> and I've been in it 40 plus years. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in it 40 plus years and I have not seen it all. There is something every year that stumps me. So I don't put a lot out there. I mean, every once in a while I'll throw something out there um, on Facebook, but I'm, you know, I'm pretty weary because people are like, that's not true. And I'm like, well, and like people say, well, how do you get your does to look like that? Well, one, I don't know if you would do what I do because it's a little insane. But I'll throw it out there. I'll tell you everything I do if you, if you want to do it. But it may not work for you. Everything's different, different places, different things. But I'm always willing to help somebody. So if they want to get on the Facebook Messenger, on my Facebook herd page, and send me a question, I'm always willing to help anybody. So Perfect. Well, thank you again for joining us. This has been quite the pleasure. And I think people are going to love this episode. Yeah, thank you for having me, and I hope it helps some people or 
at least gives them a few laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> well, Danielle, we also have social media and such for Ringside. Where can people find that? So if you're on Facebook, you can find us by searching Ringside and American Dairy Goat Podcast. We are on Instagram. If you search Ringside underscore goat underscore podcast, you can find us on TikTok by searching Ringside Podcast. And of course, we are on, we have a website. It is www.dairygoatpodcast.com. And you can find our podcast there, but you can also find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And like we said at the beginning of this episode, be sure to give us a rating or a review. It helps us a lot and we really appreciate it. Well, Jill Pritchett, thank you so much for joining us again. And everyone, this has been Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. I'm John. And I'm Danielle. We'll catch you on the next one. Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast, is not an affiliate of the American Dairy Goat Association. All opinions or information regarding the ADGA does not represent the registry.